Welcome to another Griffith University podcast. Today we have uh, King Kim La to give us a talk. Uh, King Kim uh, graduated from AMU um, as a master's in public policy. And over the years, he, uh, she has taken uh, various roles uh, for the United Nations, uh, for various uh, NGOs, and also taking up some co- consulting positions for the government of Myanmar. Um, her experience uh, in these various roles have um, uh, greatly influenced uh, public policy as well as uh, national legislation. His talk today is titled The Winding Path to Gender Equality in Myanmar, How Institutions, Interests and Ideas Influence the Ongoing Implementation of the Government of Myanmar's National Strategic Plan for the, uh, for the Advancement of Women. So welcome to Griffiths, and I give it to you. Thank you very much for your kind introduction. Thank you. So thank you very much for making time and coming here to really engage with discussions on gender equalities in Myanmar. And I really felt grateful to Griffith Institute, or Griffith Asia Institute, to invite me, and also really meeting you all, and really having a chance, you know, to talk about the situations in Myanmar. So I would like to bring you all to the path to gender equalities in Myanmar. Maybe you can take a second and you can imagine, you know, how 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 the path to gender equalities in Myanmar look like. Well, yes, you know, this is not smooth. This is very widening. So this presentation is based on the paper I presented at ANU for Myanmar Update Conference 2019. So the paper is based on our experience working for the government of Myanmar, implementations of the gender strategy. So as the quick outline, I would like to talk about like who we are because I wrote the paper together with my colleagues, Deborah Livingstone, and also why we wrote these papers and what are our research puzzles and the analysis of the findings and what works, what didn't work in this scenario. So, me and my colleagues, Deborah Livingstone, we work together as the, as the consultant to Department of Social Welfare, Ministry of Social Welfare, Relief and Resettlement for 17 months in supporting implementations of national strategy plans for advancements of Myanmar. In short terms, it's called ANSPO. Then why we really take ANSPO as the strategy, you know, to look at the progress of gender equality in Myanmar is that ANSPO is very significant because this is the first ever gender strategies of government of Myanmar. And the plan was developed by the military government after being pushed by many civil society organizations, women network, and women's organization during the Cyclone Nagis in 2008. Then, the, although the, the drafting process was initiated by the military government, the plan was launched by the first ever elected semi-civilian governments in 2013. So it's like this strategy uh, came across two government, the military government and also the first elected semi-civilian government. So we we wrote this paper based on ANSPO implementations because we thought this is a unique opportunity for us to look at how the institutions, interests and ideas really influence ongoing implementations of ANSPO and since I was involved in the initial draft stage and also getting a chance to provide the technical assistance for policy implementation, we also thought it's a good opportunity to examine how the status on gender equalities and the progress on gender equality has evolved across the time with the back, background, you know, it's like total exclusions under the military government to like what the situation looked like the civilian government with the 
female de facto leader of the state. So that's why you know we wrote about Anspor, and we used like you know that our experience working from within the government system, as well as the account and analysis of feminist scholars. So our research puzzle is like how the formal and informal rules of the games are gender and how they support or offset efforts to improve gender equalities in Myanmar in the context of democratization. Here, what we mean by formal and informal rules of games is formal and informal institutions like national machineries on gender equality, national policy architectures, and social and cultural norms. So this is the research puzzle. When we're looking at this research puzzle, we look at feminist institutional lens because uh, this supports analysis on how formal and informal institutions are gender and how they interact to shape the political outcomes. And this also recognizes that institutions are complex systems and we have to deal with complexity. We use the theoretical lens to look the progress against gender equality in policy implementation in the context of democratization. Because many scholars, including Wood, argues democratization offer space and opportunities for gender equalities and women empowerment in the realms of restructuring. And also democratization really opened the space to really talk about rights and democracy, and especially in the context, you know, from not democracy to democracy. That's why, you know, we look at the feminist institutional lens in the context of democratization. Oh, sorry. So, uh, we thought democratization really provides uh, either opportunities or threats, you know, to implement and to progress gender equalities in Myanmar. Maybe we can take these opportunities to advance gender equality and transform the institution so that it is inclusive and really benefit for women. On the other hand, it can be also really make the situation that, you know, gender equality has been shrinked under the male-dominated institution. That's why we're really looking this paper under the democratization setting. So this is the findings. Firstly, the legacy of the military rules, the decades of armed conflicts and normalizations of patriarchal power structures and social norms have intersex Myanmar current political settlements and also like construct the current Myanmar political settlements. This against performing as the drivers of the winding path to gender equality. So legacy of the military rules means that all the positions are taken by the military. Although the country democratic system was set up by the constitutions drafted and led the process by the military. The military is stay ongoing, uh, stay really powerful and also really dominating. And legacy of the military rules also mean that all the positions are taken by previous military government, but again, maybe they form as like the semi-civilian government. And decades of armed conflict also mean that all the decision making are really becoming patriarchal and the political structures become patriarchal political structure because all the decisions are really made by the men who are in the both in the military and also armed forces. 
and also the process has been really leading to masculinization or so decision making and together it's really impacts on what is really happening because ongoing conflicts in many ethnic states and including ongoing crisis in Rakhine state really means that women and children are really vulnerable from this armed conflicts and also anti-Muslim violence as well as other armed conflicts really undermine the capacity of the society to live together. So this really like makes women really absent from the ongoing political settlement in terms of making decisions or in terms of making leading the process. So like the hist historical leg legacy of the militaries really inform how decisions were made and what was prioritized across the government and the relationship between the government and civil society and government and the citizens. Because if we're really looking at the current political settlement, the media the room for the media and civil society become shrinking again. So this also really limiting the people to engage with the government and also really building the relationship for good civic engagement. The secondly, the formal settled rules where we mean international agenda agenda. International agenda agendas were seen as separate and different rather than a racial institution that support the end gender equality. For example, after development of the ANSPO, a lot of civil society groups and also UNs and bilateral really advocate for implementations and adoptations of international gender agendas. For example, like CEDAW concluding observations and also universal periodic review observations and recommendations and UNSCR 1325 on women, peace and security and sustainable development goal fights on gender equality and ASEAN committee, ASEAN commissions on promotions and protections of women and children, like eight parallel gender agendas and commitments really compete the energy and the resources from the government rather than becoming as the coordinated effort. So if the government really implement all these international instruments separately as these were advocated by different actors, the government really could have ended with eight separate but related national action plans. Then again, you know, this multiple gender agenda and international instrument really provide framework to improve gender inequalities in Myanmar, but implementing so may really risk the confusions, coherence, and also already limited resource and capacity of the government. So thirdly, the policy environment and institutional architecture isolated gender issues within a divisions, the government divisions, which is the least resource ministry. And the ministry has really minimal influence with other ministries responsible for implementing ANSPO. When the newly elected NLD government came into power, they set up national priorities as economic and peace. Then they restructured the development assisted architecture. When they restructured the development architecture, they made 10 sectoral working groups like health, education, infrastructure, of course. But they take gender equality out of this 
Sectoral Working Group and the French Gender Equality as Hot Sector Coordination Group. Then this become really a decline of gender equality from national policy agenda and also a decline in the formal divisions of power and policy terrains. Because no one really cares when you become cross-sector uh, cross, uh, cross coordination group, not really having owned by any ministry. No focal ministry for this one. And when we're looking at like, the strategies, which I presented before, this strategy cut across different sectors like education and health, peace, participation, national resources, but the responsibility of its entire implementation was really put under the Ministry of Social Welfare. So think about the situations on women, peace and security. Actually, the responsible ministry should be Ministry of Defense or Ministry of Home Affairs but not really Ministry of Social Welfare. This is the ministry inside Myanmar, very small and poorly resourced, and also really like uh, under, uh, under, under, under staff, you know, it's me. Really like few staff, and they do not have any staff across union level. So it's really difficult and it, really set ends for outside all the de overall development architectures and it was not really integrated into national plans and priorities. Then these strategies become less influenced over other strategies related to gender equalities and women rights in Myanmar. So when the four law, the discriminatory four law, which is say they're like protections of race and religions, when this law passed very quickly and spur could not influence anything. Again with the draft law on protections and preventions of violence against women, it has been drafted for four years already now, but it can't be really passed through, so stay in the draft stage, and this national gender strategy doesn't have any influence on passing the law quickly so that you know this is as one of the implementations of the ANSPOR criteria. So this is the situation. So finally, informal subtle games, informal rules of the games, which we mean social and cultural, is really defined the power relations and it also governs how the states and citizens interact. So in Myanmar, I think probably like others, Asian countries as well, social and cultural norms are really powerful and influence a lot on narratives and idea and the scopes of what is possible to achieve in terms of Myanmar, not only in gender equality, but also in other areas. Of course, this is more severe when we talk about gender equality. Then we, the culture has been really seen as like the politeness or genderness and the influence of Buddhism on the culture is perceived that, you know, it's like the culture as the protective force <coughs> which can encounter the negative impacts of globalization. Because many people in Myanmar perceive that, you know, culture and traditions of Myanmar has been really challenged by both internal and external factors such as religions, cultures, economics, and politics. Then again, women are framed as like barriers of the cultures. Then women's and their behaviors we are put on the pedestal. So you should not do that, you should not do this, and you are the one who are responsible to protect the cultures of Myanmar. Uh, again, in this situation, we have like a very interesting concept called POM, which means like 
spiritual power. Only man has this kind of spiritual power. So this really gives man like superiority and also really like superior conditions and also really justify for their leaderships and everything. This norms has been really deeply hold inside the society. So all the research shows that both women and men from Myanmar really prefer male leaderships when we talk about political and economist leaderships of the country. And again, you know, and uh, so many concepts, like another concept like Anade, I think people who've been to Myanmar and who has working experience in Myanmar maybe also really know about this, the concepts of Anade. It's really like, you know, uh, uh, we refrain from asserting ourselves, like because we felt obliged to uh, save your face and also I, 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 I should be polite to you or also like, you know, it's like I should show respect. Then. For the women, combined with this, the pole, the concept, the male superiorities, and also like culture, and the burden of culture on them, and this comes the Anna they want, really constrain. And also, women are also constrained themselves from engaging with state actors. Uh, this, especially getting. Uh, more, how can we say, like, uh, worse, like, you know, when they have to interact with male-dominated government institutions like Ministry of Home Affairs and also, like, police, land department, and also assessing the public services. And it's really make as barriers to engage with the government and also taking access on sexual reproductive health and also educations and also taking positions in public affairs and really like voicing their concern. This also again impact on women's organizations and that, that when they advocate for women's land rights and also women's peace and security. All this becomes also intersect with the legacy of the military rule then this becomes severely impacted on women and also really affected women political leaderships and also other areas as well. So these are the four broad findings we have. So under these situations, we're also looking at what works and what didn't work in this policy implementation. As you know, like when Myanmar becomes opening, there's a, so many technical assistance provided by UN, bilateral so government, and so many. Sometimes, like they just send someone to the ministry, but whether it doesn't necessarily mean the demand comes from the government or not. So we find that you know, when the demand is driven by the government. It's really work to gain trust and also cooperations and ownerships from the government. And also it has more potential to be sustainable. If not, when the technical assistance completed, then nothing is ongoing. And we also think that you know adaptive programming is really help responding to changing political and development context and to make gender strategy relevance to this context because as you all know the context in Myanmar is changing very quickly so we can't be really like you know it's like very rigid and also really like okay we plan that way we will really implement that way we can't be doing that way so we really have to do adaptive programming because when we start working for ANSPOR the narrative was like this is failing strategy this is a paper document it's failing so started to looking at that narrative and really looking at framing the narrative around, okay, this is not failing. Yes, you know, there has been some progress, but we need to do more. And how this is relevant for sustainable development goal five, because uh, government department 
got buying when we talk about sustainable development go five because this is the, the responsibility for them to implement but this one they don't see this is their responsibility because they see this is the solely responsible for the Ministry of Social Welfare. And again, ongoing political economy analysis also really useful to identify concrete and strategic actions to understand the incentive of the diverse actors and power relations as well, you know, how, how who are the diverse actors and you know who are the new actors and you know how they really work in this policy scenario and impacts of gender social norms and also how racial relevance institutional frameworks and support the change so it's really helpful we find it so what didn't work in terms of supporting the technical assistant when the technical assistant um, something like gender equality, it's really based in the ministry which has least power and least resources. It's really become difficult and challenging to promote gender equality across the government and also influence with what is ongoing and also what is policy agenda for Myanmar and also national priorities. And again, civil society's organizations, yes, in terms of Myanmar, yes, a lot of civil societies are very active. And they also advocate government to implement a lot of strategies and also to adopt a lot of international instruments. Unnecessarily getting buy-in from the whole government, but really relying on the focal ministry, which they are comfortable to work with. So civil society organizations really miss out other channels in terms of democratization to influence the policy change because they purely depends on Ministry of Social Welfare and pressuring them. Why don't you adopt like UN, uh, UNHCR 1325, Women, Peace and Security? Why don't you do on uh, women, women's technology? Why don't you do on education? But this is the ministry. Who, who, who can't do anything about women, peace, and security? But still, you know, they are also really comfortable working with one focal ministry. So this is also, again, with the society side. And again, UN agency and bilateral organizations, the letter coordinations and communications between the development partners become a major obstacle to the implementation because everyone has their own agenda and they are competing for their own agendas and also they withdraw the informations and also really like you know not really coordinating but really advancing their own agenda so it, it becomes a major obstacle sometimes the government of Myanmar is busy meeting so many development partners a day not really time for implementing the policy but and also when the government suggested them to coordinate among each other, they don't really do, but on the other hand, they also ask the government to do coordination. So it's really like, you know, <laughs> not really like talking, the, walking the talk. So when we providing the technical assistance, we found out the short-term nature of the technical assistance and the urgent need of the staffing within the department means you don't really have a counterpart and also you can't really ensure capacity transfer to the department. So this is what we find out what didn't work when we work. So as the conclusions we said that yes there's some gains yeah if we compare with military government yes there's some gain made within the predominantly patriarchal institutions but not really taking advantages of democratizations so or the reform process and actually transform the institutions or create new institutions or ways of working. So stay always of working is continuing. And we conclude that your change towards gender equality is not linear and it really depends on understanding 
how formats and informal rules of the games agenda and how we also really work on through the games. So we suggest that the feminist theories and body of research generated in Myanmar could really help generate culturally specific feminist principles and objectives to support policy design and implementations. Because there hasn't any established <coughs> body of research on feminist institutionalism or also, like you know, feminist theory. And also, it's the time also to ground up the concepts which I really think as Western and also really challenge orders, gender equality and social norms means in Myanmar. Thank you very much. So I hope we will have enough time to really have deeper discussions. Good. Yeah, thanks, Inky. Uh, before taking any other questions, could you please update us um, the Rohingya crisis from the gender perspective? And what worked and what didn't work um, on the part of government and on the part of NGOs? Yes, this is really interesting because the government also was asked by the CEDA committee to provide special report on the situations of the Rohingya women in Myanmar. So one thing I would say that in terms of ANSPO, so they said, no, we do not have any discrimination against any religions or any ethnic cities or anything. But of course, in reality, in the current political settlements and in practices of policy implementation, of course, you know, there's uh, some discriminatory practices. This is one thing. So another thing I would say that around the civil society's organization, it's quite interesting. Mostly women networks and women's organizations inside the country doesn't really have a strong voice on the Rohingya women. So this is the third, the, the, the third area. And I think you know, the fourth one is also, again, the, the legacy of the military, because the military is still very powerful. So civil society's organization, and including the government, they find really also constrained to really point out what are the crimes committed by the military against the women. So there has been some limitations. So when we really looking at like the Kofi Annan Commission suggestions and also in current current rehabilitation process, there hasn't any specific or specialized rehabilitation programs for the women. On the other hand, the government and the military that deny the crimes against Rohingya women. So, since we don't really have any specific what is it, the programs or the one working on that one, so I could not really know, you know, what works well and what didn't work well, yeah. Any questions from the floor? So if I, thank you, that's really good one. So the first one, ASEAN, actually to be honest, you know, there's a like ASEAN declaration, uh, like ASEAN committee plans, and also as, I think, as, uh, yeah, ASEAN agendas on women, peace, and security. I think more or less it's also look like ANSPO, you know, yes, you know, on paper there's a lots of things, but in terms of implementations and also in terms of follow-ups, supports, and also really tracking the progress against this implementation 
I would say that it's really weak, based on my experience working with the government in, in these ASEAN areas on gender equality. Yes, Aung San Suu Kyi, as the de facto leader for the state, it also had a lot of impacts on the work on gender equality in Myanmar. Because people said that, oh, we are fine because we have the women leader as the state. Of the, uh, as the leader of the state. So we are fine. But we always forget that this is only one woman. But they really use her argue for gender equalities in Myanmar. You know, it's like if women are qualified, women can take the position. Women can be even like the head of the state. And also really use, you know, Aung San Suu Kyi as like the women leaders and also highlighting what she, what her success, but really undermining other women as well. And also here, you know, again, the ethnic politics come. In Myanmar always, you know, there is a Burma majorities and ethnics. So when she is from this Burma majorities side, so when she's seen as the leader of the state, other ethnic women are not really considered as equals as she is. So this is one thing. Another thing, she herself has a lot of priorities. And I would argue that gender equality is not really part of or one of her priorities. Questions? Do you have any idea about plans to increase female representation in the government? Does the government want to see you right now? increase the representation? So, uh, I think, you know, Tamado has been also making sure more women representation. Because in terms of the institution, we can say that they are like the strong institution and also they also consider about like the critics of international as well so to to look really good you know when they start also really planning more women MPs military MPs sitting at the parliament because in Myanmar 25% seats come from military directly. They don't need to go for election, but they got automatically 25% in the military. Previous government, they didn't really have any women military MPs for the, before the violation, but second violation, yes, they have more. And also GAD, General Administration Department, it was under the Ministry of Home Affairs quite recently, they also plan to recruit more women as like the township administrators. So this is their plan. So we, we won't, we don't really know what will really happen, but this is for sure not really in the positions of top leadership, top level leaderships. Okay. Oh, yes. um, thank you so much. I guess it's, it may be a related question, but I was just wondering, are there any kind of critical actors or people within or in the government that are really are receptive and at any of those higher levels to this message and are kind of pushing in their own quiet way to make change or maybe not so quiet or any of those positive stories at all to share? Or actually, when we walk in, so there's a, a lot of good people actually. Yeah. A lot of good people. It's like they really want to work for the change of the country. But at the same time, they don't also have the capacities or ability to really go beyond their jurisdictions. It's like beyond their boss or their government. So I would say that, you know, I think, you know, there are structures like high bureaucracy from the top, top-down leaderships really restrain them. So when we start engaging Ministry of Defense and Ministry of Home Affairs for the Women, Peace and Security, Yes, they, they participated, but when they are asked to take the chair position in the working group, 
they didn't want to take responsibility. So yes, there's I would say that there's some errors, but still limited and could not really make many changes. Yes, um, it was about at the Myanmar update. They said that in the, the, the third union conference peace yes. negotiations, the top level political agreement was on gender equality. Yes, I was just wondering why? Why has this happened? I mean, they had slightly more women, but they have hardly any women at the yes. peace conference yeah. because it's dominated by military actors. So, what how did that come about? It was yes. a bit surprising. Yeah. So this is really interesting and also thanks a lot for asking these questions actually. I should have, I, I should have included that one. Yes, uh, we have ongoing peace process. So according, in this ongoing peace process there's a conference, a lot of conference. So the latest conference with government, armed groups and the military so as one of the agreement coming is like 30% women participation in peace process. So why this become as the agreement? It's really avoiding the backlog situation they face because when the conference started, they start talking about one and only Tamado, the military. So the military is saying in Myanmar, we will only have one and only military. But ethnic armed forces say that no, we will also have our own ethnic armed forces in states and region, in our own state especially, not really region. But then, you know, the debates become very serious. Uh, it's like they start like, oh, and also when they start talking about the federal state and federalism, they find this is very difficult to go this discussion further. Because Tamadol is like, okay, this is our position. This is our interest. We won't negotiate. But then the ethnic size, they can't agree this. But they can't also influence or they can't also, like, you know, make the discussion happen, maybe like, you know, how can we really like uh, compromise or really like coming as the better arrangement? Then they say, okay, let's talk about gender because they see this is like, okay, easy and not really political <laughs> and also comfortable to talk with. Then they come as like, okay, the 10% women participation in the peace process. Actually, this was not new because when previous government they developed framework for political dialogue, they also put a sentence say, women participation, 30% women participation. So we're sure, okay, there is one thing, the agreement come, but no one really talk about the arrangement to implement this agreement. So this is like the gender equality has been used again to really avoid the political tensions and debate and also really frame gender equality outside of politics and also political areas. It's bizarre. They never have said this. Yes. <laughs> Except for the two ladies. Oh, that's very good. Thank you. I just want to ask um, about the grassroots levels. I mean, for example, how much influence does this um, Ministry of Social Welfare actually have in, in practice? And I mean, also things like <coughs> education. Uh, do more girls go to school than used to be the case? What about university? And, and are they, um, the family laws, are they any different from before? Do they have any effect? Yeah. Actually, in terms of education, I think, you know, Myanmar has been doing good in terms of education, so it's like, so um, for the, what is this called? Uh, primary education, so it, it's become like, uh, all, I think, what is this called, like, universal, no, it's like, so it's, it's really reaching the, and also more girls are getting educated at the highly levels, but there is still a gap between urban and 
urbans and like uh, uh, urbans areas and remote area. There has been a huge gap. For example, like a lot of women from Shan State and Kaya State, the conflict affected, not really at that high level literacy. But in terms of the influence at the grassroots level, I would say they're very limited because if we're really looking at the institutional structure, a Department of Social Welfare, they don't really reach till the grassroots level. So sometimes they have the department only at the states and region level, the lowest sometimes like, like the district and township, not really reaching to all the towns, but yes, uh, education, health, they have like the institutional structures. So I would say the Ministry of Education has been also doing good and also the education reform, we can also see it as one of the one of the the good things happening and ongoing in Myanmar. Thank you. Really interesting. Uh, just a clarification question for for my own information. So these ethnic militaries are they um, would they are they demanding to be completely independent? They wouldn't answer to the central military at all. And then I have a second question too. But go ahead. I think, you know, with the ethnic militaries and the opposition, di different amongst these ethnic armed groups as well. So, for example, the Rakhine, now they're talking about confederation. But other ethnics are talking about federalisms and federalistics. And also, some ethnics really come as like the militants. So, even among the ethnic armed groups, I would say that they don't really have like the unified uh, position to really go and argue with the Tamador, the military. Mm -hmm. yes. Interesting. Thanks. The, so my, my central question was about the sustainable development goals. So I, I heard you mention them several times, and I'm mm. just curious if you could say a little bit more about the significance. Are they uh, useful tools in terms of things that you can point to, and uh, do they? Uh, how useful do you find them? I guess? Yeah. So I would say that this is useful tool because in, when the sustainable development goals and the 2020 agendas has been really become as the global agenda. So Myanmar government also has to imply and also Myanmar government develop Myanmar sustainable development plan in line with uh, global sustainable development plan because this is the only framework which bring different government and different department and also the one which they have to accountable in terms of annual reporting and also making implementation plan. So in that sense, uh, I would say that this is really useful tool. So now the government also has been making effort to make, uh, to make this Nyama Sustainable Development Plan in line with states and region plan, and also to really develop implementation plan. What about the, the family system itself? I mean, I realize that Burma is a very complex country in terms of its ethnicity, ethnic groups and so on. Is there a predominance of patrilineality? Uh, what is the the, 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 in a sense, the role of women within the family? Are there, you, or do you get fairly powerful roles of women, such as you get in many Southeast Asian countries, or is it much more like Northern Asia, where China, Japan, Korea, or Northern India, where the men are basically rule? And so what, what, are, what are the effects of the family system and the values associated with it, the roles of men, the roles of women, in terms of discrimination against women in, in, in urban society. Thank you. So this is like, you know, really like patriarchal society, so which may, may are really predominantly really powerful because a lot of social and cultural not really gives like the justifications for the male taking the leadership role. So, when we are talking about the family structure, head of the household has to be always man. 
that's why when we first drafted, uh, no, not drafted, when we passed the law on the village administration, the law even said that the village administrator has to be the head of the household. So women can never be the head of the household. So this is one. But like, as you mentioned, Myanmar is very complex. So different ethnic people have different practices. For example, like some ethnics like Gachin and Chin, there, you know, women, they do not have any right to inherit the land and also in some area properties. And in these situations, the discrimination against women has been normalized because we have a lots of proverbs saying, like, you know, don't mercy on counts and women. So it's like, it's like the God as the master, the son as the, uh, 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 the God as the master, the son as the God, you know. Uh, the, the, no, sorry. The king, the son as the master, the husband as the God. So, a lot of these social and cultural norms and also the teachings, the practices in the villages, some area, women can never become the head of the ceremonies. Because in some area, women seem so dirty and sing. So, these are still really practices across different ethnics. So, in terms of decision making, they are not really having the decision making power. Do these women do have uh, more access to public space than in some other places? So, oh. these women are allowed to work. Yes. Uh, and these women are allowed to handle money. So, they often have the household budget, control the household budget, which is not like some places in India that you're talking about. Uh, so, it's very interesting because Burmese men always tell me yeah. that Burmese women are much more equal than Thai women. Much more equal than Chinese women. Oh, thanks. <laughs> actually, yes. This is interesting. Actually, yes. I think she's right. You know. I think we. I. I. I have to mention. Yes. There's a many women like we can say they're like the leaders in like others area, but not really political area. So like maybe economics. Yes, a bit. Like you know. Yes, and also public space. Universities. Yeah. Uh, because the main. Universities are military. The civilian universities are full of women. Very yeah. senior. Absolutely everyone who's a rector or, yes. a, or a professor in Myanmar is a woman. It was quite a shock. Yeah. Uh, but that's because the civilian universities were of a low status compared to the military academies. So, uh, a, and now they've got their place in the sun. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. But also, uh, just on that family law thing, the race, race and religion laws. Because there was no functioning family law, were embraced by a lot of Buddhist Burmese women, Burma women, um, to take uh, adultery cases. So they were designed for that purpose. So the monogamy law is nowhere does it say you can sue your strained yeah. Burma husband for adultery, but that's what they're used for. Lots and lots and lots of cases. So you, you know, you expect the women's organisations to say. They're discriminatory and they're against human rights law, and they go, but they're really handy yes. <laughs> for suing my horrible husband. And they, huge amounts of cases, like hundreds and hundreds of hundreds. Yeah. I found that very interesting. And that's not actually what the law says. So there's no functioning family law, and we can blame the British for that. Uh, and so they use these other laws yeah. in a weird way. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Yeah. I just wanted to ask about the role of outside. I mean, for example, China was mentioned mm. just now. And um, China's got a reputation for you know, very bad human rights. And uh, in the West, people say, oh, it's terrible how much influence this had over Myanmar. Um, and um, on the other hand, in China itself, they don't take that view at all. They think it's very, very positive that they might have some influence over there. And um, I'm also just wondering if you'd like to comment on that, but since the British were also mentioned, I just wonder about them as well. Because, I mean, um, what did they have effect? What, what did they, 
in this sort of area. Mm. Because um, it just strikes me it's very interesting that, that uh, they have themselves a sort of point of view. Okay. Um, and and um, their influence, I mean, it's a long time ago now, of course, of course yeah. but it's still, I think it still has an impact. Because yeah. can I finally, this is a personal question I have in mind, because mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm really struck by um, comments on how, it, how these things actually affect at the grassroots level, yeah. which I raised before. Yes. Um, and, and you mentioned that the husband you know, has to be head of the family and all that, and the son has to be whatever. Did your father encourage you? I mean, you're obviously brilliant and highly educated, much more highly educated than most people in most countries. Um, did your father encourage you to get so highly educated? Did, you, did your brothers? Did they? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yes. So, first question, China rule. Yes, it's like when the lady, she came into power, she make more engagement with the Westerner, let's say, British, and also like America, the West country, to rebalance the relationship between Myanmar and China, because throughout the military periods and also during the previous military government, China influence has been really, really big. And also China is dominating like almost all the areas. So when she came into power, she started rebalancing the relationship by making more close relationship to the Westerner. But this Rohingya crisis really isolate her from the international community, I mean, especially from the Westerner. So in some cases, she has been put at the corner, not for really being accountable for what is happening. At the same time, it makes her close to China. And also, at the same time, this reactions and response by the, from the Western, Western friends, her Western friends, make China getting more bigger, bigger rules. Because they use video, not the military sent to international criminal court. And China always use video in terms of Rohingya crisis, not the government to take like responsibility. Then, of course, you know, government has also something to pay back for China gratitude on this thing. Then they start losing bargaining power. And also, at the same time, so ongoing peace process, China's are getting more role. Because China also, although they deny, but some source, they say, China also supports some armed groups as well, so ethnic armed groups and also they become as the negotiator and also like they really influence some ethnic groups to come and sit at the table. So that way, and I heard at the Myanmar Arctic Conference from the ladies' economics advisor, it's like the World Bank, the World Bank hasn't borrowed any single money within these two years to Myanmar. And he mentioned that the economy session Although it doesn't say anywhere as explicitly, but it say worse, worse than during the military government. In that situation, China, the only investor, and really, like you know, pouring money into the country. Of course, at the same time, you know, like taking advantages of exploiting national resources infrastructure buildings and also really making their one belt, one road system really happening and also access to the ocean through Myanmar. So I would say that if the situation is continuing like this and Rohingya crisis is really getting worse, China will have more power and also they will have more power in terms of peace process as well. So this is the situation. Yes, 
in terms of like the patriarchy systems, and you know, I would say that not all the men are bad. Yeah, there's a lot of good men. Yeah, and also know that ethnic peoples are also bad. I think you know there's a like very com complex and very diverse. So, for example, like my my father. Actually, he doesn't really want me to travel like long distance, but not really because you know it's like I felt tired and you know. But like he encouraged me to do like you know education. But I would say that it's my mom, like you know, she's really like the breaking the rules and the social norms and you know everything. So she really raised the children, you know, and also really like go beyond the boundaries, like you know. Okay, so you can do that. But my father not really stopping, but not really as actively supporting as my mom. Yeah. Well, actually, that's the same with me. <laughs> I'm in a completely different type of society. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think that's it for today. Thanks, Kinky. Yeah, thanks thank you very for much. coming. Thank you.